0: the storms of life are raging stand by me when the storms of life are raging stand by me Like a ship upon the sea, Thou who rulest wind and water, Stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, Stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail, thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures, stand by me. When I do the best I can, And my friends misunderstand. Thou who knowest all about me, stand by me. When I'm growing old and feeble, Stand by me When I'm growing old and feeble Stand by me When my life becomes a burden And I'm nearing Jordan, oh, thou lily of the valley, stand by me.
1: Amen. Thank you, Jason. I feel like we ought to close the casket now. You know. Yeah. <laughs> That wasn't funny. All right. Boys and girls, ages four years old through the fourth grade, if you will please head out to children's church. It doesn't take away from the song, folks. I was blessed, okay? I'm just saying he got slower and slower and softer and softer, and I thought he passed away and we closed the casket, okay? That's all right. We're we're all right. Thank you, Jason, brother. The angel Gabriel went to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, one day as he ministered in the temple and said that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. As you know, his name was John. We call him John the Baptist. One of the things that Gabriel said to Zacharias, he said that your son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Great in the sight of the Lord. Oh, the desire to be great in the sight of the Lord. I wonder today, is that our desire? Is that your desire this morning? You might not be great, but you might be great in the sight of the Lord. Notice, please, it's not, again, this desire to be great. Uh, Seek not greatness, the Bible says. Uh, Let another man praise thee, not thine own mouth. We do not desire to be great, but what a privilege and what an awesome passion to be desiring to be great in the sight of the Lord. There's a mother in the Bible that the Bible calls a great woman. When you think of all the mothers in the Bible, if I ask you today, who do you think would be the mother that the Bible says was a, was a great woman? I wonder who you would say. Some might say perhaps Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Ruth, perhaps Hannah, maybe Elizabeth, Zacharias' wife, John the Baptist's mother, maybe, maybe Mary, the mother of our Lord. But who in the Bible do you think God says it was a great woman. If I told you that she's found in 2 Kings 4, would that help you? He said, that doesn't help at all, Pastor. 2 Kings 4. We we don't have a name for her. There's no name given her in the Bible. We call her the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman. Turn, please, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning for our text on this Mother's Day. 2 Kings chapter 4. The world, and of course our society, our culture, really has the wrong idea about what makes a woman a great woman. I think you'd agree with that. The world, our culture, society says things like, well, let's see what, uh, what's her bank account or how many assets do they have, how wealthy is she, perhaps uh, how well-known is she. Uh, maybe they're thinking, uh, well, what, what prominent position does she have? In the church or in her city or community, some ladies' group, maybe it's not the woman. Maybe her husband is a, is a prominent figure in politics, or in, he's a CEO of some company or something like that. Again, how much does she, does she have? Does she, what kind of house does she live in? Let's take a look at her house. This great woman's going to have a great house. Uh, what kind of car does she drive? Does she wear expensive-looking eye-catching jewelry? Uh, what kind of clothes does she wear? Where do you think she buys her clothes? Uh, perhaps they think about her family. Yes, well, oh, she's a great, great woman because, I mean, look at her family. She's got a you know well-respected family. Maybe she's highly educated. There's all kinds of things that the world kind of looks at and says, well, no, there, there's a, a woman that, you know, it's no big deal there, you know, so she's there, okay? Or Oh, oh there, there's a, there's a great woman right there. So when you think about a great woman in the Bible, I think that you would... You would expect something a little different than all these things we've just mentioned that are so important to the world. The world looks at these things. God looks at a woman's godly character. And I want us us to see this morning a woman in Scripture who is called a great woman. and, And it's, I really believe, because of her godly character that she had. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And I want to read verse 8. And then I'm going to stop for just a moment. And say a few words and then I want to read the rest of the chapter, not the, not the entire chapter. But I, I think it's best to, generally when I preach I don't read a long passage. Just work our way through it as we go through it. But if I do that this morning because it is a long passage and I have so many things that I'd like to share with you on this Mother's Day from this passage. I'm afraid we won't get to the end of the story and that would be bad. Or I'd preach till noon and that would be worse for some of you, and a couple, three people would say amen, but the rest would be crying, okay? And so I don't know what to do, but I think we better read the whole story so at least you hear the whole story. And then I'll, I'll fill in whatever time we have with some things that we can learn from this wonderful, godly, great woman. Acts, excuse me, Acts, Second Kings chapter 4, please, verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elias, or Elisha, rather, passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. We're told this woman here was a great woman. Now, to be true to the Scriptures, and as a pastor, a preacher, we must be true to the Scriptures... I don't think the word great here has really to do at this point in the narrative. It's really not that she was a godly woman. We believe she was, and the chapter will show that to us. But if we just take the word great and look it up in a Hebrew concordance, it's really not tied to, it's not always tied to great in the sight of the Lord. So it doesn't say there was a great woman in the sight of the Lord. It's just a great woman. And the word great simply in Hebrew means great in any sense. Uh, It can mean that she was great in the fact that that she was great in her age. She was older. It can mean that. She was great in nobility. Uh, She was great in social prominence. She was great in wealth or other things. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us what she was great in It just says it fell on the day that Elisha passed through Shunem where was a great woman, where was a great woman. But we don't know at that point what is she great in, what's great about her. We're going to read this chapter now all the way through verse 37. And I want you, especially I want our ladies and especially I want our mothers to be, as I read, to be thinking, what is there about this woman that makes her great in the sight of the Lord? Why was she truly a great woman in the things that really count? And, and, and what can I learn as I observe her here? What is something that can help me be a better woman, a godly woman, a better mother? How can this mother provide an example for me to follow? Second Kings, please, chapter 4, beginning again at verse 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed through Shunem, where it was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, or the roof, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. It fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber, and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call the Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? She answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, Well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said... About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And a woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha sent her according to the time of life. When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door, uh, shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It is it shall be well. Then she saddled an ass, said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God unto Mount Carmel. Came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take thy staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. If any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. He as I passed on before them laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice. "...nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him, and told him, saying, The child is not awake. When Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead, and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain, and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child. He put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hand." And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And she was coming to him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet, and bowed herself to the ground, and took up her son, and went out. Amen? Did you get something out of that? There's more power in the Word of God than anything that, that I could ever preach about it. Now, there's more power in, in one word, or one sentence, or one verse in all the Bible than anything that I could say about what we read but as I read this through a few times in preparation for the message, I thought there's so many lessons here, there's so many things here that a woman, especially a mother, can learn that could follow as a good example, a godly example of a woman who is great in the sight of the Lord. You know, where would I start? Which ones would I choose? So I've I've chosen a few. You say, how many? I'm not telling you. However many I have time to preach, that's how many we'll cover, okay? And we're not taking them all over. But for the most part, they're in order, but they're really not all in order. But first of all, would you go back to the beginning of the passage and we want to look at verses 8 through 10. Verses 8 through 10, please. First lesson I want you to see this morning is the fact that she was certainly hospitable. She didn't wait to be begged to do something. She didn't wait for someone to tackle her and, and wrestle her and say, look, we've got a great need here. Could, could, you, could you help out with this here? No, no, it wasn't. That's not her. She volunteered. She volunteered to do something when she saw a need. And then she didn't just provide food for Elisha. No, not just food on one occasion. We're told here that she did this regularly. Every time Elisha passed through town, he was welcome there. She would provide a meal for him. She didn't just feed him. Then she goes the extra mile, and she had a prophet's chamber built for him. She didn't just have a prophet's chamber, probably built up on the roof. She didn't just have this prophet's chamber and say, now go on down to Mathis Brothers and pick out some furniture for your hideout or your hideaway up here. No, no, nothing like that. She, she furnishes it. Do, do you like to go to Mathis Brothers? It's fun, isn't it? If you, can get, if you can get rid of all the salesmen that follow you around. I mean, they got more salesmen there than furniture. Okay. But, you know, it's just fun to go there and walk around. Yeah, every time we go, I say to my wife, I'm glad I don't work here. How would you ever memorize where this stuff is? I mean, anyway, we get back to our text, okay? Uh, she didn't say, go down to Mathis Brothers and, and uh, push away all those salesmen and find something for your nice little place up here, you know. Hey, she furnishes it, get all the things that are needed. I mean, this is genuine compassion, folks. This is genuine love because love is always the root of hospitality, a person who, who's hospitable is always an unselfish person. It's a person whose mind is not on themselves. You know, what do I have? What do I need? And how can, how can people serve me? How can people meet my needs? Or they're usually kind of closed-fisted people. You know, they, they're, they're, not, they're not open-handed giving people because they're always afraid they might not have enough whatever for themselves, either now or later. So they kind of keep their money and their things to themselves. You know, don't want to wear out the furniture here and don't want don't to lose the money that we might need someday. No, when a person is hospitable, you're not thinking about themselves or thinking about other people and, and how can we meet your needs. And here's a tremendous, I think, a lesson for our, our ladies and our mothers here to just open your life, and if possible, if necessary, you know, however you can, open, open your pocketbook, open your house, open your, open your things and share with others. But that takes us to our next point here. She didn't just do it all by herself, right? She was submissive to her husband. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. She said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which path is by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And you see throughout this chapter, again, look at verse uh, 22. She called into her husband and said, "Send me, I pray, the I'm, uh, one of the young men." So she's she's checking with her husband. We are, as you know, teaching through Ephesians, verse by verse. And about four or five weeks ago, now we had the message in chat from chapter five, uh, verses uh, twenty. 22 through 24, there, I believe. Yeah, 23 through 24, that the wife is to be submissive to her husband, to be in subjection to her husband. And you see that in this woman here. You know, she has this great desire to be hospitable, she has this desire to provide for the needs of this visiting, traveling prophet. She discerned, by the way, she's discerning too. I didn't have time for everything, so here's the discerning one. She perceived that this was a holy man of God. She may have not had all the movie stars memorized. She may have not known all the great entertainers of the day and so forth and, and all whoever, the fashionable women of society, whatever. But she, she recognized this man as a holy man of God and she wanted to provide for his needs as a service to him and especially as a service to the Lord. But she didn't just do it on, she didn't just take over and run the show. She checks with her husband. She submits it to her husband. It's a wonderful trait. We won't spend a lot of time on that this morning because I preached an entire message on that, as you know, just a few weeks ago. But a, a truly, a truly godly, great, in the sight of the Lord woman, a mother, is always somebody who, although she may be aggressive, she might be a person who has a lot of great ideas, she, may be, she might have a lot of talent, she may have a lot of resources, whatever it is, she still always checks with her husband, she checks with a father. She's submissive to her husband. Number three this morning, would you look at verse 13? Verse 13, please. He said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? So the message goes from Elisha to Gehazi to this woman. Look, you have been so Kind to us. You've been so gracious and open-handed in providing all you've provided for us. Could we go to the palace? Could we go to the king? Could we go to the capital of the host? And and could we put in a word for you and and you could be advanced? Maybe he would even move you to the palace. Maybe your husband could get a, a higher position. You could have more nice things and have a better life. You know, it's just something to say, thank you for all you provided for us. What's her response? Could I paraphrase it? It would go something like this We are well off as we are, and we do not see any reason for us to try to get ahead. We desire no more than we already have, including if we don't desire any greater position. She was content to stay as she was, and she was to say, she was content to, to stay where she was. She was not only content to, to stay, to be, to be what she was and stay where she was, she was also content to be doing what they were doing. What she, she's mainly looking after the needs of others. Again, you tie it all together. She's saying, look, we're well taken care of. God has graciously provided for us. We don't need to go someplace. We don't need to do something else. We don't need to hire this or a more of that. We're fine as we are. She's, she's content in the Lord, and, and her mind is not on self. It's on others. It's a wonderful trait here. She has no desire to climb up the social ladder. She has no desire to, to gain uh, more finances for personal gain. If God gives her more wealth and she wants to share it with others, but it's, it's, not a, it's not a big deal to her. Nothing in it for self. I think one of the most prevalent sins today of the typical American mother in our world is this sin of being discontent, being covetous. Never really satisfied with where they are. Never really satisfied where, where God put them. Never really content with what God has given to them. Always wanting to go someplace else or wanting to get something else, to purchase something else, to get something else. And I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your life be without, what's the next word? Covetousness, a desire to have more. You don't see that in this woman. No, there's no covetousness here. I mean, she's offered, she's in no thanks. Let your life be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. Why? Do you know the rest of the verse? For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And here's a woman who's saying, look, I've got God. Why do I need more from the king or the queen or whoever else? Why do we need more from the captain of the host? More things, more prominence, more opportunities, more whatever. She said, no, we've got God and that's all enough. We just, we're just happy as we are with our people here serving Him. We'll come right back here. We're trying to stay in this passage. We've got enough here without going elsewhere. But would you go please to 1 Timothy chapter 6 for just a moment. We'll not be preaching on the passage. I probably could quote it for you, but I think it would be good to read it together, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 6. You need to think about this passage when you think about the Shunammite woman, a model for mothers, a model for women. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Do You find it? You got it? But godliness with... Next word. Question, what is godliness with contentment? What is it? Look at it. But for But godliness with contentment is great gain. It goes along with being a great woman. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith, next word, content. Having the necessities of life. We all want all the extras. We don't know sometimes the difference between our needs and our greeds. God says, having food, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, are, for we brought nothing into this world. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich. And really that is they that will to be rich. They've made up their mind, they're going to have more. But they that will be rich, they fall into temptations, a snare, many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O woman of God, or but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. What a powerful passage of scripture and we need that so much today. Here is a godly Great in the sight of the Lord woman. And one of the things that characterize her life is she's content. And along with that contentment, by the way, she's humble. Go back to Second uh, Kings, please, chapter 4. She's a humble lady. Goes with being content. Verse 16. Elisha is talking with her and he says, Thou about this... Season according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. Notice her response. And she said, No, next two words together, (coughs) No, my Lord, (coughs) thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid, your servant. She didn't see herself as being great, (coughs) she saw herself as a humble servant. She saw herself as someone who really didn't deserve to be in the presence of a great man, a prophet of God, Elisha. She calls him her Lord, her master. And she said, I'm I'm just your handmaid. Does that not remind us of the mother of our Lord? When the angel Gabriel came to her, as recorded in Luke chapter one, and told her she was going to bear a son and who her son would be the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And he tells her the Spirit of God is going to come upon her and that which is conceived in her is going to be of the Holy Ghost. The The Holy One in her is going to be the Son of God, the Savior, the King. And she makes this statement. When she gets the news, she says, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me, According to thy word. That's exactly the attitude of the Shunammite woman. I'm a nobody. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm I'm just a handmaid of the Lord. May God's will be done in my life. Humble, content woman. Number four this morning, would you look at verse 19? We'll read 18, 19, and 20, okay? When the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said unto his father, my head, my head. He said to a lad, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon, and there he died. What's the father saying here? Look, look, we've got to get our boy here to his mother. Just take him, take him to his mother and all will be well. I mean, how many times do we hear some mother say when her child Falls down or gets hurt or gets a little bruised or something, come to mommy, I'll make it better. What does mommy usually do when he comes? What, is, what does she do? She kisses it. It was interesting to watch the boy across the street trying to learn learn how to ride his bicycle. When you try to learn a bicycle, do you usually make it the first time you try? No. Where, where did he learn to ride his bicycle? In the street. It's not grass. <laughs> It's not it's concrete, okay? And See this guy, and he, and he fell down a few times. And I, I didn't hear his mom, but I'm sure it was like, well, come to mommy, you know, she'll kiss it, make it better. And ten seconds later, he's on the bike and crashes again. You know what I'm saying? Got another boy. He's he's trying to learn. He was he was trying to learn how to, how to, how to skate. He's got this little skateboard thing. That was fun. He had a few bruises here. Yeah, he I had a few cuts and the third. You know, well, just take him to mommy, you know, she'll she'll everything will be fine. Just a kiss from mom. Uh, a, a godly mother is never too busy to take care of a sick or wounded child. Amen? And the child, as far as the, the child is concerned, it's like taking him to the doctor. taking him to the nurse. Take him to the ER. No, just just take me to mom, okay? And here the dad says, look, just, just take him home to mom. Mom will take Everything will be just fine. He sat on her knees until noon. I put this down in my notes. No godly mother ever felt it was a burden to take care of one of her sick or hurt children. Amen? No godly momen, mom, No godly mother in the sight of the Lord is ever, ever burdened to take care of a, a sick child or hurt some hurt children. It's always an honor. Is it not? It's always a privilege. It's always a joy. And you know, mothers have a way of doing that better than dads. I don't know why. I hate to confess this, but when our children were really young, really little, and they would get sick in the middle of the night, what did I do? I did like this guy said. I'm a good follower. Take him, take him to his mom, you know. Okay, <laughs> let him, let him throw up all over mom. Okay. He said, Pastor, you didn't do that. No, not, not that attitude. Please, please. I mean, they threw up on me too. Okay. And I got many times at night, I feel like I've done my share, but I never felt like I could, I could take care of it as well as she could take care of it. There's just something about a mother's heart and a mother's care that, guys, men, we can't, we can't match that. But I hope it's because we don't care. Or we're too busy. Or some selfish reason. Let it always be, honey, I know that you can help him more than I can. I know she wants to be with you right now. That's, that's in the story. Number five this morning. She was faithful in her worship. You say, where do you see that? Well, are you, mother, woman, mother, are you faithful in worship? Verse 23. Well, let's read 22 and twenty-three. And she called her husband and said, Send me, I pray, thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? Why why do you want to go there today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it shall be well. It's, It's not the new moon, it's not the Sabbath. I mean, could I paraphrase? I know that you worship every Sabbath day. I know, honey, that you go and worship on special days like the new moon. Today is not the Sabbath day and it's not new moon feast time. And so, so why do you want to go and worship today of all days? I don't think I'm stretching the point here. This woman had a reputation with her own husband that when it was time to worship, she was there. When it was the day to worship the Lord, she was there. He said, I can understand if you want to go to the man of God and worship, you know, but this is not the Sabbath day, it's not the new moon, so what's the occasion? And she says, all will be well. It's, it's going to be Okay. Do you have that kind of reputation? I've said this so many times in this pulpit, and I'll say it again. One of the things I respect most and admire most and love most about my godly mother was that, I'm telling you, I don't like the phrase, but it's still a good phrase. When the church doors were open, could you finish it? She was there. She was there. She was there for Sunday school. She was there for Sunday morning church. She was there for Sunday night church. And we were with her. She was there for Wednesday night prayer meeting, midweek service. When we had a missionary, she was there. We had an evangelist. They didn't know how many nights. Back in those days, a lot of the meetings were two weeks. We were there every night. Fellowship things, she was there. I'm thankful for that about my mom. What a wonderful example she gave for her eight children. She had a reputation. By the way, it wasn't just the habit of going to church. You know, when the church doors are open. Whenever the church doors are open, be there. That's not the main thing. The main thing is why do you go when the doors are open? My mom loved the Bible. She took advantage of every opportunity to hear more of God's truth. My mom loved, loved Christian friends. Loved, looked forward to going to church to be with her Christian friends. My mom had very, very little money. I mean, very little money. But my mom liked to go and get to put something in the offering plate. Just a little something in the offering plate. My mom mom loved to pray. My mom loved to pray so much, sometimes it irritated me. She'd say, really? Yeah. Like after dinner every night. Our family, this was, I'm sorry, folks, this was the good old days when families actually ate together. We'd all gather in the kitchen every night, all ten of us, and nine of us at that time before I went to college. And we, we would eat. Six boys and two girls at that time, five boys and two girls, mom and dad. That took a lot of food, okay? And it took a lot of time. And we'd sit there and eat. And when we finished eating, it wasn't like, hey, dinner's done, we're out of here. You know, we weren't watching TV while we were eating, we didn't have a TV. We, kids weren't playing video games while, you know, while the rest of us were eating. No, there's none of that kind of stuff. We, we were all, we weren't out all, we we're in the kitchen and we, we're gathered. And this is every night. And when you're finished eating, what do you do? You do the dishes as fast as you can if it's your week. Then you go outside, for us, you go outside and play ball. We had our own ball field right out behind our house. We lived 15 acres in the country. Go, we had our own ball field right out behind our house. We'd go out and play, And we all would take turns. My dad would always read the scriptures. And then we would take turns praying. And we were always excited until it was mom's turn to pray. She prayed for every missionary that she ever met. She prayed for every pastor, every evangelist. I mean, she prayed for everybody that was sick. And it's like, won't be any ball game tonight. It'll be dark when she finishes. But you know what? Was, I didn't really like it back then, folks, but I thank God for it today. And I, what I said today, I do not say, as you know, I am not saying this as criticism of my godly mouth. I'm saying this as a testimony and as a compliment to my dear mother who had the reputation. Church was really important. Wednesday night prayer meeting was really important. We get to go pray together and hear more of God's word. This is this Shunammite woman. Why are you going to church today? It's not Sunday, you know, Saturday in those days. You know, it's not some holy feast day. No, I have got some other business to take care of. How many times in the Bible do we afraid do we read a phrase like this? He went up to the temple on the Sabbath day as his custom was. And I ask you today, is that your custom? Is that something that you do and people know you do it? And it's not again because it's just a habit. It's like a tradition. No, no, it's none of that. It's like what church represents to you, that's what you want in your life. Number six this morning, please. Would you look at verse 21? Verse 21. And she went up and laid him, her her son, on the bed of the man of God. And she shut the door upon him and went out. She did not murmur. She did not complain. She did not sorrow when her son died. She acted quite differently than we would expect. Why? I believe definitely because she believed that, that her dead son would be resurrected. Instead of calling a neighbor or a friend or her husband or the priest or the doctor or the town mortician, she laid her son upon the bed of Elisha and she set out immediately to find him. Look at verse, uh, we just read verse 21. How, how do we know as we read this verse, as we read the verses that follow, I mean, how, how would we know? That How how can I say I believe that she had this faith to believe that her son was going to be resurrected, that God was going to raise up her son? Would you quickly go to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is what do we call Hebrews 11? The what chapter? The faith chapter. From beginning to end, it's all about the heroes of faith, God's hall of faith. People who had great faith. Great men who who had great faith. Great women who had great faith. And you read Hebrews chapter 11, after mentioning several by name. Then he says in verse 32, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of, and he gives some more names. And then you come down to verse 35, and you, you read this. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Women, not men, received. Received what? They're dead, raised to life again by faith. That's why they're in this chapter. In the Old Testament, you have two mothers who saw their dead sons resurrected. Number one, Elijah, and number two now, Elisha. God says, women, not one. Women received their dead, raised to life again. This has got to be Old Testament, New Testament, wasn't written yet. This definitely refers to this lady. Go back to Hebrews, go back to 2 Kings, if you will, chapter 4. Look at verse 23. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Why would she say that? Elisha is gonna come back with me. And all is going when it's all said and done. It's all going to be okay. It will be well. And does that not remind us of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22? Don't turn there. When God says to Abraham, after all those years of waiting for a son, a promised son, and the son comes, and then God says, Abraham, I want you to take your son Isaac, your only son whom you love. I want you to go to this mountain that I'll show you. And I want you to offer your son for a sacrifice. I want you to slay your son as a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And Abraham gets up the next morning and heads on out. You know the story. Why would he do that? He raises his knife and he's ready to slay his son. And then God says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, I'm here, Lord. And I believe Isaac saying, that was close. Don't, don't lay your hand upon your son. Say, why would Abraham do that? We're told in the same chapter, Hebrews 11. Chapter 11 of Hebrews. We have the verse that tells us. What is it? Verse 19. That, that He did that. He says Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. Accounting that God was able to raise him from the dead. Abraham says. I will do as God has said. Because God will raise up my son. This Shunammite woman. She has something in common. She's in that same chapter. Hebrews 11. Because she has something in common with Abraham. She believed that God would raise her son. By the way. She had something in common with Abraham's wife, Sarah. Back in Genesis, I think it's what, chapter 19, I believe. Sarah laughs when she's told that they're going to have a son. She'd already been told that. Now, the Bible says she laughed, and there was, there was, a, there was a rebuke for that. She says, no, I didn't laugh. And God said, yeah, you did laugh. You say, well, why are you bringing that up? Well, look back in 2 Kings, chapter... Um, 4, verses 16 and 28. Verse 16. He said about this season, Elijah, Elisha, to the woman, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. She said, no, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie to thine handmaid. Now look at verse 28. When her son dies and she's now with Elisha again, she says, then, then she said, did I, not, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? You say, what's this all about? She had a little lapse in her faith. Just like Sarah did when Sarah doubted. This lady has a doubt here. And there's a lesson for all of you. There's a lesson for mothers here. Listen, you can be a great woman, and you can be a great woman of faith. You can truly have strong faith, but it doesn't mean you will never have a doubt set in. It doesn't mean there will never be some lapse in your faith. But true faith always prevails. And there might be somebody here this morning, if you're honest, you're saying, I'm going through that doubt time. I'm going through that time of a lapse of faith. But I just, I find myself now wondering, listen, don't crucify yourself. Sarah went through that. The Shunammite woman went through that. But true faith always prevails. And finally today in closing, would you go to verse 37? Verse 37, then she went in, she fell at his feet, she bowed herself to the ground, took up her son, and went out. What's that all about? That's a great woman, a great woman who's great because she expresses her gratitude for her blessings. She says, thank you to Elisha before she ever even takes up her son. She's kind of like that one out of 10 lepers that the Lord had the experience. Remember, Jesus healed 10 lepers. How many returned to give God thanks? How many? One. The other nine, no time to go back. No expression of gratitude. Just got got more important things to do. I'm sure they were happy, but it's like, okay, well, I've been healed. Okay. Here's one guy says, no, no, no. I got to go back to the one who healed me. And Jesus sees him coming and says, where are the nine? Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, when the flame of gratitude dies upon the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. Think about that. When the flame of gratitude dies upon the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. What's that all about? A godly, great person in the sight of the Lord is a person who will be extremely grateful for whatever blessings God sends his way. He will verbalize to God, thank you. His prayers will have more thank yous than please help me. He will verbalize his gratitude, his thanksgiving, his praise to God, and it won't be once a year on Thanksgiving Day. It'll be all the time. And even more important than that, He will show forth his gratitude to his God and Lord Jesus Christ by the actions of his life. There's no better way to show forth a gratitude of our salvation to the Lord than to say, Lord, I am your servant. You have done so much for me. You've provided for my salvation. You've cared for all my needs. You've guided me. You've protected me. What wilt thou have me to do? Behold, the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I long to do your will, O God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ, Christ's love for me, constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which died for them and rose again. And here's a lady who has this wonderful, exciting, blessed experience of her son being resurrected. Her son. And she doesn't just run in and take up her son before she ever even does that. She goes to the prophet, falls at his feet. And I believe she said these two words. Thank you. As she said, thanks be your God and my God bow your heads please would you this morning can you learn something today to help you be a more godly mother a mother who's great in the sight of the Lord think about it ask yourself this question please a little different invitation this morning okay Similar, but a little different. Would you ask yourself this question, mothers? Am I hospitable? Am I? Am I a hospital person? Am I? Would you ask yourself this question? Am I submissive to my husband? Am I really? Am I submissive to my husband? Would you ask yourself this question? Am I content with what I have? where I am, what I'm doing, my situation, as just a humble servant of the Lord. Would you ask yourself this question? How tender-hearted, how compassionate am I as a mother when I have a child or children? that are hurting, how compassionate, how tender am I, would you ask this question, do I have a reputation for loving to go to church, and all that I get to do while I'm there, to worship, to sing, to pray, to give, to fellowship, to hear, the word of God. Do I have a reputation for being there? Would you ask this question? Am I a woman of faith? Faith is believing God's word, getting a word from God and accepting it as true and acting upon it. Is that me? Do I live by God's word? Do I, do I trust the Lord? How's my faith? And finally, when I think of all that God has so graciously provided for me, Do I express my gratitude? Am I a thankful, grateful mother? Expressing it verbally to my God often and expressing my gratitude by my lifestyle. Is that me? Father, we thank you today for this chapter here in 2 Kings. For the story of this woman, this mother, And what we can learn from her as a great woman. A woman great in thy sight. Thank you for your word. You told us in the New Testament that these things were written for our admonition. For our instruction. To provide examples for us. We thank you for the wonderful example that we have here this morning. I'm grateful, Father. I'm so thankful for the mothers in our church. Wonderful Godly mothers, faithful mothers. Thankful, Father, that you have chosen for them to be a part of this assembly. The blessing that they've been to us with the benefit that we've received just from having them here. And I pray that you will bless this day, that it will be a very special, happy day for them. And I pray that the message this morning might be, therefore, also a part of that happy day, providing encouragement, providing a needed challenge. For thy glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, this morning, if you will?